0: This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net.
1: Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing One Spell. With Reflecting a Different Truth, we discuss using images of World War I trench warfare to inspire the war-torn regions of Indigo. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast Reflecting a Different Truth, we talk about integrating surreal elements into your Invisible Sun games. This time we're talking about the war-torn regions of Indigo that remain after the war. The war is an interesting part of the setting of Invisible Sun. It is clearly an important part of the setting. Emphasized nah, by... we're
0: not going to talk about it.
1: <laughs> well, it's hard to ignore the war. We don't talk about the war. Uh, usually there we, we don't talk about the what the war was over or who fought the war. But it is impossible to ignore that there was a war. And that war casts a shadow over Saturnine and Indigo today. Large parts of the of the area are uh, scarred by this war. There are the hate cysts that are present in these various uh, war-torn regions and the like. So while we don't talk about the war in the sense of what, what it was about, uh, we can't help but talk about it as we develop games because it is a an obstacle and an element of the setting that is... Uh, inescapable in our games. Just walking across Saturnine, one is very likely to run across uh, something blown up, something, uh, an area of the city that had been destroyed in this war, uh, or something along those lines. But we now, don't talk about we, the war.
0: Are we focusing on the ruined expanses, or is it going to be ruined expanses and other destroyed parts of Indigo?
1: I can think of it as just about any of these because my my focus is more on what we can draw out of World War One as inspiration for a war torn area, and that can that can be used in either a, a more urban or a less urban environment. Okay, uh, it, it's useful to note that we're returning to this topic to some degree uh, because we, we this World War One's popped up a couple times in our conversation. Uh, when we talked about the surreal movement very early on in the podcast, um, I noted that World War One is often seen as an important predecessor to the surreal movement, because the the uh, atrocities and damage of World War One uh, led many people to question the kind of historical narrative that humanity just kept getting better and better and more enlightened and smarter, uh, and that we had moved past these eras of bloody warfares and civil wars, and now we're into this new mechanized, enlightened era of prosperity. Uh, World War I made that look like a pretty silly interpretation of history, Uh, and the surreal movement is to some extent reacting to that by drawing into question whether World War I was a natural byproduct of an over-reliance on elements of the Enlightenment and what we call reason in the form of mechanization and possibly dehumanization uh, or the the idea of mass warfare as opposed to individual combat or things like that. So there's this close tie between the origins of surrealism and World War I, and thus it's a useful area to uh, explore for inspiration in, in a uh, game that draws so much both on surrealism and some early 20th century fashion, architecture, and the like.
0: So one of the big things for World War One, at least my understanding of it, is the mechanization led to... An insanely high number of casualties that had never been seen before in conflict.
1: Yes. Is that accurate? I wonder, uh, that's my, that's a, it's a widely shared belief. Uh, and I believe it is true. <laughs> uh, I'm not a historian or an expert on World War I, Uh So, you know, I'm only coming at this as at best a hobbyist. Um, with a passing mm-hmm. uh, familiarity, but that is that is a theme I see repeated in a lot of uh, the kind of explanations of World War One and its impact. Uh, by the way, we're we're right in the window of the hundred year anniversary of World War One, so you, you might see more articles. Oh, this would have been the
0: end of World War One.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'll okay. see more articles about World War One than you might have five or ten years ago, uh, because we're in that window. Um, to, 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 so you'll, there's a lot more out there that my, your players and your, you can bump into as you design your game.
0: Uh, something that I think we should, that that I want to call out would be revisionist history. Revisionist history? No, that's not it. I'm going to look it up. I'll, I'll interject when I find this podcast that talked about World War I.
1: Uh There is a thing called revisionist history. There's also a, big, a good podcast series on, I think it's hardcore history.
0: That's what I was trying to think of. Hardcore History had a really good series on World War One.
1: Oh, it was very, very good. I want to say it ran like eight hours or something. It's a very long yeah. series of of uh, audio material, but it, it goes in roughly chronological order through most of World War One, with extended discussions of the origins of World War I um, and some of the changes to warfare that happened throughout the war. Um uh, this is, uh, as we'll talk a bit more as we use this inspiration, uh, a lot of people point to World War I as sort of the, the birth of modern warfare, that World War II is maybe the more prominent war in our culture today, but that's mm-hmm. in part because it started wholly formed. Uh, it was a modern war from the beginning, whereas World War I represents the transition from a, a classical era of warfare Uh, to a uh, to the to to modern warfare not with all the same weapons we have today uh, but a lot of the logic and tactics were born in world war one out of mistakes of people trying to face mechanized uh, uh, weapons with uh, kind of classical strategies and tactics
0: yeah i think i recall some of the the stories uh and this this also forms a lot of you know my thinking for coming at invisible sun and thinking about the war and thinking about the state of Saturnine uh, they, they went into world war one with a lot of that traditional thinking and, you know, they would send in cavalry units. And, you know, the, the thinking at the time was like, yeah, we were going to win this war on horseback or we're going to use these, you know, traditional, Formations that we just used in there was a war just, you know, a decade or so before it, where it did work that way. But in World War One, with the introduction of the machine gun and eventually tanks and airplanes, like the ways that they waged war could change completely. And the when those things changed, you just saw thousands and thousands of people getting. Just destroyed and killed as the battlefield, you know, up like changed with technology.
1: Yeah, one way people talk about this is in, in relation to mechanization. That the the we went into the war on horseback and came out of it in tanks.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, that you ha- the beginning of the war is almost Napoleonic though very early on advances in firearms technology introduced things like machine guns and some of the early uh, kind of slaughters in the war are things like, as you mentioned, um, cavalier charges against, uh, just a, you know, a lone team with a machine gun. They could take down an entire cavalry brigade, uh, who just kept running into them. Uh, but with a machine gun, that's, there's really no limit to the amount of destruction it can meter out. So, uh, they had to change those. the The, the cavalry tactics changed dramatically, uh, and over at the same time, you start replacing horseback with uh, mechanized travel, whether it's jeeps or things like that for for uh, getting materials around. But even the introduction of tanks, and uh, so we have you know before World War One and even early World War One, we have the Napoleonic image of the general on horseback with a saber leading a charge, and you come out of World War One with. Uh, the image of warfare being a tank rolling across blasted earth uh surrounded by steel and itself firing large uh caliber um, uh, 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 arms uh, out into the uh, uh into the trenches and into the blasted areas of of warfare uh, so it's a very different image of war coming out of world war one and coming into it so world war one has this this pivot point, or it represents this pivot point of mechanization. And I think that's something you can draw directly into your Invisible Sun game by making it surreal. Uh, if you want to play with that notion of coming in with horses and out with tanks, you could actually have a hybrid horse tank.
0: Uh,
1: a giant sort of clockwork centaur, or something along those lines, uh, uh, would be kind of a surreal representation of the liminal state of World War One and it's technology. Uh, alternatively, you could just play with tanks a bit and make them surreal, by making them exaggerated versions of tanks. They're even larger that they, ex- they are defined primarily by their protective shells. Uh, and if you're out exploring this territory, you may find the abandoned shells, almost like giant abandoned skeletons or the, the shell of a giant abandoned uh, 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 you know, crab or something like that that you might have on a beach, except it's huge. But that protective shell still lasts because the only part of the tank that remains, um, that could be useful protection for your uh, players to hide from whatever is chasing them or threatening them. Uh, but it also might be a focus for all of the bad things in the area because that they, they know that's where the squishy and tasty things hide.
0: Hmm.
1: It's kind of like the, the oasis um, for... Uh, the, these blasted lands, like, oh, everyone knows where that tank shell is. Um, so th- that's where they go if they if they need a, a snack, because that's where all of the unprotected tourists go uh, when they realize they've made a terrible mistake by wandering into this uh, no man's land.
0: Uh, that reminds me of the giant mechanical serpent that uh, the players in the one shot I ran had come up with. Uh, there was an enormous mechanical serpent that was a, a leftover from the war that resided in one of the character's neighborhoods. And it it was fine if you kept your distance, but it was kind of a nuisance because it would try to destroy anything that got close to it. Uh, they ended up uh, sicking a bunch of goats on it that would eat anything. And like that, that took care of the problem. That is such
1: a wonderful solution.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it worked out pretty well
1: Suddenly your game becomes um, a, a, a contractor simulation where you're just taking goats out to clear out different parts of the Blasted Territory for for Saturnine redevelopment
0: Yeah, if you have goats that can eat anything, then they're going to eat something really interesting <laughs>
1: uh, But it also leads to other interesting stories like when they eat the wrong thing and uh, in this surreal world, eating the wrong thing may affect you in some bizarre and dangerous ways they don't just get sick; they become a little demonic.
0: Yeah, reanimate uh, that machine that uh, was destroyed during the war, except now it's in a goat. What else do we have from World War One that we want to pull in for these blasted uh, the oof, the ruined expanses and the devastation of Indigo? Well,
1: one of the other themes of World War One beyond mechanization is the emphasis and development of trench warfare, uh, where. Wars, again had, had battles at least, were thought of as temporary sorts of events. Mm-hmm. They lasted days, um, though in World War One, they started to find out, oh, these things can last months and they can just churn through soldiers, killing uh, people on an unprecedented scale. So one of the most famous images of World War One is of trench warfare, where each side literally dug into the earth to protect themselves from shell fire um, and other sorts of explosives and, and guns, gunfire and the like. The trenches can be can be used in a variety of ways. These are protective structures, but they're also notoriously dirty and dangerous and diseased. Uh, you can kind of play with that. You can imagine a labyrinth of trenches uh, within a particular uh, uh, area that has been devastated by the war, where the trench itself becomes maybe sentient, or the trench itself becomes uh, at least magically imbued in a way that it's continually digging itself out into a bizarre labyrinthine uh, expanse and getting trapped in that trench could be itself a challenge, uh, to have to overcome.
0: That's, that's a really interesting idea. And I guess the things that you would have to deal with if you're stuck in that trench would be magical born diseases, um, going along with the, you know, diseased water filled trenches of world war one,
1: Absolutely. Or as with everything here, ghosts. You can have lots and lots of ghosts. This whole, the whole area might be littered with ghosts, ranging from entire squadrons of ghosts who are destroyed on ill-conceived charges uh, to individuals uh, who, are, who, are, uh, who may be themselves ghosts. They may uh, show evidence of dismemberment or other uh, wounds caused by the war itself. And they may be barely sentient ghosts, because these are the remnants of psychologically shattered soldiers uh, involved in in the war itself, whatever it consists of. Um, So the trench could be populated by many, many ghosts. It may itself be a ghost in some sense.
0: Yeah. Inhabited by, well, I guess animated in some way by all of the, you know, soldiers, Mm -hmm. Bisley and whatnot that died within it.
1: Right. All the soldiers who desperately were digging out extended trenches, hoping it would protect them. And it did to some degree, uh, but it also reinforced the length of the war. And so it it, it may have been short-term protective, but it also created this unsustainable uh, machine of, of war in the sense of it just creating a situation that led to the churning through of, of so many uh, uh, casualties. Uh, once you get out of that trench, you're into some other familiar images from World War One. Uh, you might have to get o- out of the trench and over the, over the barbed wire or the concertina wire. Uh, that's a, you know, a famous uh, image of World War One is the use of barbed wire to try and uh, to kind of demarcate areas to prevent rushes, uh, so that trenches couldn't be overtaken, to make it harder to run through the area between the trenches, known as the no man's land. So that if someone could survive the crossfire of all of the guns as they were to run from one trench to another, they would then have to contend with barbed wire. Uh, but we can make barbed wire surreal by uh, very easily just by animating it. It would be barbed wire, a barbed wire monster rather than just <laughs> passive barbed wire.
0: I mean, this is a scene right out of Suspiria. Uh,
1: out of Suspiria and out of every, uh, Well, not so much... The barbed wire in Suspiria isn't animate. It's just curiously placed um
0: yeah it's very strange because, and odd it makes no yeah, sense yeah i
1: don't i don't know why uh, ballerina schools uh, ballet schools need uh a lots of of razor wire but apparently this one did uh, but but i do know why trenches did <laughs> they needed this yeah. to help protect their the, the barriers so that people wouldn't overtake them by rushing uh so again you could just animate the barbed wire uh if if we think of barbed wire as just having uh, little spikes on it, uh, or in more modern versions, razor blades on it. Uh, you could make it surreal by changing what it is that is damaging about the barbed wire. Instead of it being a physical uh, 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 spike, uh, then maybe it is something else. That it is barbed wire, but does something that has that has more of a psychic damage. Mm-hmm. That is just disturbing. Uh, that uh, so it, it you make it surreal by changing the way that it does damage.
0: So rather than it just being. Barbed wire. Perhaps it is this macabre display of all these ghosts that live, that inhabit this no man's land, that right. mentally damages your characters as they It's actually through.
1: a thread of screaming ghosts, and each of the spikes is just uh, they spikes move around because they're actually little little clawed hands of the ghosts reaching out at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could. Uh, you could even go kind of the other direction and kind of, uh, a, kind of uh, I guess, use a metaphor. That the barbed wire is a lot like just thorny wood. And uh-huh. so the metal of the barbed wire could give give way to just very nasty thorned wood to show the kind of to create an analogy between the barbed wire and, and protect, protective uh, uh, structures on plants and that, that exist in nature so in some sense rather than you make it surreal not by making it uh more exaggerated in, in its mechanical sense but by associating it with something we don't normally associate it with which in this case would be just nature
0: so instead of abstracting it you you say this is the truthful representation of what we're trying to do with barbed wire
1: right imagine you're on the borderlands of one of these blown these blasted out areas uh, and what you ha- you might have a, a tree that goes from being a peace or in a, in a peaceful grove, but as you exit the grove and go towards the war torn area, the tree kind of starts to be over or the trees in that area begin overgrown with these thorny vines. And if you keep following the thorny vines, they eventually make it out into the fully blasted area where the thorny vines give themselves become metallic barbed wire. But it looks sure. like a continuity of a single organism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see the progression from nature to this mechanical destruction in the form of metal barbed wire
0: well I've got some ideas uh, for the next time my characters go into the ruined expanses I guess
1: <laughs> yeah one, one last thing I do want to mention mm-hmm. uh in in the same uh, vein is World War one it predates most of the contemporary controls on chemical weapons Ugh. And so prominent in use in World War One was mustard gas. Uh, you start to see, this is where you see a lot of uh, gas masks and things like that being given to soldiers, images of World War One that have people either carrying or wearing their gas masks mm-hmm. because they, they tried to get warning whenever mustard gas was being deployed. Uh, Cause if you, if your goal was to empty out a trench, it's hard to do one bullet at a time, but if a well-placed mustard gas attack could empty out a whole trench because the trench just directs that gas for you, uh, and it's heavy, so it, it sinks, it sinks into these trenches. So it was a really like effective and terrifying weapon of World War One. Uh, but you could use something like I mean, now you're now you're talking about just a cloud effect uh, of of damage and a corrosive uh, cloud can be made surreal very, very easily. Now, you've, if you have a, again, a sentient cloud that this, so the it, your enemy is the cloud that is coming to attack you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can, uh, this could be an environmental effect. Uh, it could be instead of, you know, uh, I don't want to get to make too much light of mustard gas and its association with mustard as sort of a food product. Um, but you could play with the composition of the gas. And instead of being mustard gas, it is, again, like a swarm of ghosts or something along those lines that would thematically work well in this no man's land uh, of uh, of warfare. But consider chemical weapons as something that's, that comes out of World War I, uh and might well have been used in the war in Saturn. Uh, and therefore, you could have surreal versions of it present in your game to reinforce the setting and the themes.
0: So now you could take inspiration from all this stuff and create something out in the ruined expanses that, you know, f- pulls a lot from this. But when you present it to your players, what they're going to see isn't so much a reflection of trench warfare from World War 1 and how horrible it was. Like how can you get them to think about that just a little bit.
1: I would make sure that the victims are present in some way. It doesn't have to mean that you have piles and piles of dead bodies, yeah. but if you have remnants of people living in the trenches or whatever it is that you're using as trenches, it is a reminder that the war took place here, that lives were lost here uh, and that they might've been lost in large numbers and with great uh, you know, pain and anguish. And so using what, what's sitting on the ground, mm-hmm. those sorts of reminders, I think, are the most powerful reminders of the of the theme.
0: Yeah, because I, I think it's interesting to take something like this and build it into your narrative and flesh out the world with it. But the war, to me, feels like it should be something that should have some sort of impact and it should have your characters thinking about it in some way. And I, I, I want to try and evoke that instead of just saying all right here's a crazy tunnel system that has weird things happening in it i know the inspiration for it all but my players don't so you know how do i how do i bring them in there and 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 help them see this whole thing kind of in it from a different perspective and yeah i think i think putting putting remnants from the war putting signifiers putting something physical in there for them to see that something big happened here would be, would be important.
1: It may require mixing and matching some of these to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. So we talked about having like the, the shell of what could have been a, a surreal tank that is sitting out in this blasted area. And that itself is kind of one degree of surreal. But if you want to get the the tone home of the, the horrors of warfare, then maybe you want to combine that with something that makes it clear that, as big as this was, as as all of the intent behind the creation of this giant shell as a protective device, it didn't matter. It didn't work. And so the people inside it are all dead. And it won't actually protect you from the threats you are facing. So if you have a giant protective shell, but you've got a sentient mustard glass cloud coming at you, that shell's not going to help you. Uh, And so you might be able to, the mismatch between the uh, beliefs about what would protect them and the threats they actually faced would itself create that sense of horror if you're going for a horror of war tone for your game. Uh, For the trenches, uh, you you know, populating the trench with reminders of who was actually there, whether it's in the form of ghosts or in the form of just the things that were left behind would be useful. Uh, But if you're describing, for example, the self-digging trench that leaves this infinite labyrinth the narration of the trench should reinforce the frustration of the how the, the the trench is itself inescapable that it was designed initially to be protective but it became really a coffin that you can't go over the top because it is too dangerous because of the barbed wire because of the gunfire because of all of the other threats that are, that have kept you in the trench uh, but this what was intended as an act of protection then really became this sort of self-destined coffin because you've just dug yourself a hole you cannot escape from Mm -hmm. and narration can reinforce that.
0: Well, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes the next time they go out there.
1: (laughs) This is pretty dire, dark and and horrific themes that we've been talking about in this particular segment. And that requires the buy-in of your players to a great degree. Um, If this becomes some sort of Scooby-Doo, uh, you know, silly chase through a haunted trench. uh, I'm not going to tell you you're playing the game wrong by any means. I'm just saying that is one way to play the game. It is not likely that that group of players with those expectations are going to experience the horror of uh, trench warfare, if that's what you really wanted to happen. So make sure that everyone's on the same page about whether they want to experience this sense of horror this sense of of frustration and uh, desperation in the game, or whether they really want more of an action romp where this surreal just means large and uh, awkward and unrealistic. And that's okay. That's a totally valid way to play the game. But if you start throwing these other references to them, if they aren't looking for the horror, the, the references might just become trivialized uh, rather than uh, powerful explorations of uh, warfare in your games. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at text underscore red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, It really helps us out. Uh, We also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, Or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and help people find us.